This morning we're going to be um, continuing. We've been doing a series for about eight or nine weeks now on experiencing God. And by no means is our relationship with the Lord just contained in the three big topics we've been covering. But these are three ways that we can get to know the Lord better. And so we talked about the power of God's word and, and the role that the Bible plays in our relationship with God. And then we spent some time talking about worship. Not just what we do on Sunday morning, singing songs, playing music, but a life of worship and the power that that has in growing and developing our relationship with him. And then last week we start off on prayer. And I just have to tell you, as we're jumping into this stuff, these are things that are kind of um, core components of our faith. And all too often, reading the Bible, worship and prayer get robbed of their beauty because they get turned into a list of obligations, something that's required of me, something I'm expected to do, something I have to do. And instead of being invitations to get to know this incredible God who loves us, they can almost become the opposite. They can become obstacles. Oh man, I haven't read my Bible enough recently and God must be pretty frustrated with me and I start feeling guilty and there's this wall there and instead of realizing it's an invitation to encounter him, My guilt causes me to pull back. It's the opposite of what the Lord intended. And so some of the danger in talking about these things is that we can hear them through an old or broken filter that just says, here's a list of stuff the preacher's telling me I'm supposed to do all the time. Great, more reminders of how I fall short. That is not the case. We have a God who loves us, who has redeemed us. He is crazy about us. And just like a good dad would do, he's the perfect father That right there might lock some of us up because of our past. But I'm going to let him define what a father looks like instead of the broken version of maybe what I've experienced on this earth. And he tells me that he loves me and he's with me, that he's for me. He tells me he forgives me. He tells me that his mercy is new every day. I get a fresh start with him. That God loves us and is excited to spend time with us. And so he's inviting us more and more into a life-giving fulfilling relationship with him. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to get into this topic of prayer. Uh, last week, we, we uh, had this message called the please stay of prayer. There was just simple little line that Abraham spoke when God appeared to him where he just says, please, please stay. The, the English word we used there was pray, but it really just meant like, please stick around. Please don't go anywhere. Hang right here. He just wanted to be in the Lord's presence. And so we unpacked that last week. This morning, we're talking about praying by faith with persistence or perseverance according to God's will. There's some biggies in there. Praying by faith with persistence according to God's will. So I'm going to need help talking about this. You're really going to need help having to listen to me. Um, So let's pray together and then we're going to jump into this. God, we love you. Lord, more importantly, no matter where our love is with you, you love us. And you tell us in your word, that's the first move. You love us, and therefore we can respond to you in love. God, I pray this morning you would help us to understand what it means to pray in faith. God, how do we hang in there and persevere when it's tough? And God, ultimately, um, what what does your will have to do with it? How do we know your will? How do we pray by your will? God, would you help us to understand these truths, not to have more information in our head, but God, to better know you, to better understand how you've wired us, and God, the life you're inviting us into. So come and speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So praying by faith with persistence according to the will of God. Now, normally, I'm the kind of guy that really likes to grab one passage, one story, and let's just pick the story apart. It's going to be a little bit different this morning. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you. Some of them I'm just going to mention in passing. Um, If you're a note taker, you can scribble them down. If you don't want to have to keep up with that, you can download these off our website later. They may be helpful to you to dig into later. But we're just, I want you to, the reason there's so many verses, I really want you to see um, the overwhelming message of what the Lord is saying to us about prayer. So number one, praying by faith. There's a story found in Matthew chapter 17. There's this boy who's, who's being hounded, being possessed by a demon. He's in real trouble. He's been that way for a long time, and his father's desperate for his son to be set free. And he comes to Jesus' disciples, and they're helpless. They can't do anything about it. They can't change the situation. And so Jesus gets involved, and he does what he does, and he sets this boy free, and it's incredible. And afterwards, the disciples, they're a little bit confused. They're a little bit frustrated. And so in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, after this event has taken place, they show up, and So the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing. Now, here's the incredible thing about this. There's several cool things that Jesus says. I mean, to me, when I, when I hear that, what stands out to me is this mountain moving. I'm like, are you kidding me? That mountain's going to move? We, we were just trying to help this boy get free of this tough situation he was in, and you're telling me I can make a mountain move. It almost feels like Jesus raised the bar even higher. This is going to be even more difficult than you can imagine. And yet, the good news is hidden right in there. He says, if you just have faith like a mustard seed, If you have this tiny little small amount, it's enough. It's enough. We don't have to wait until we have this huge amount of faith to approach God and believe for big things. We can bring the tiny little bit that we have. In fact, in Mark's gospel, he tells this story, the same story, and it's a little bit of a different perspective. We see it more from the perspective of the dad in the story who wants his son to be set free. And so this whole passage is in Mark chapter 9, verses 16 through 29. But this guy comes to Jesus and is like, will you help my son here? And in verse 23, Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I love the honesty of this dad. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He was honest, like, I don't know that I can muster much more. I've been watching my son stuck in this condition. It's not changing. I'm here. I'm asking you to help. I've got some level of belief, but would you help my unbelief? That is a great prayer. That's the kind of prayer that gets answered. Andrew Murray has this to say about that kind of prayer. He says, there must be a certain amount of faith before there can be prayer, But greater faith is the result of prayer. Do you want to know how you can learn to trust God more? Do you want to know how you can learn to have more faith? Bring the tiniest little bit you can muster, even if the only faith you have is just to say something to God. That that might be all the faith you can muster, just to believe that maybe there's actually a God up there that might hear me. And so let me bring that 
and say, God, here's all I can muster. Will you help me where I'm lacking? And he will. See, the apostles struggled with this. The disciples battled with this issue of having enough faith. In Luke 17, they're having another conversation. And Jesus mentions again this idea of faith like a mustard seed. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And again, same analogy. The Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses this picture of a seed because seed shows up over and over again when Jesus is telling stories to people. I don't know if you you realize this yet, but Jesus was a great storyteller. Um, On some level, he told stories to help people understand things, but he also hid things in those stories to see if people were willing to kind of dig at it a little bit, ask hard questions, come back, do follow-up. It's almost like he left these little breadcrumbs that enabled people to wrestle with the real questions they had. And if they were willing to do that, they would, they would lead them to the Lord. And so in that, he used the, the picture of seeds a lot. In several places, Jesus used the idea of a mustard seed starting out really small and being planted and then growing to be something really large. In that context, he was talking about mustard seed being like faith. Well, there's also another story of seeds. You guys know the famous story of the parable of the sower that's sowing the seed? Everywhere he goes and it hits different kinds of ground. There's the, the, the path, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorns, and then it lands on the good soil. But in that story, Jesus said the seed is the word of God. There is a direct connection between faith and God's word. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, when he said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God, the word of God. So let's come full circle here. Faith. It's a massive component in my prayer. Jesus tells me I got to have it. It's required. And yet he also tells me the smallest amount that I can muster is enough. I love that. The smallest amount that I can muster is enough. And yet there's something about taking the seed of faith that I have, combining it with little seeds from God's word and watching what happens when those two come together. The reason God's word is such an important component is God's word tells me what's true. He doesn't just tell me what's true about myself or about the world I live in. He tells me what's true about him. See, here's the real issue with faith. It's not about how do I have more. It's about what do I base my faith in? And so again, Jesus told this example over and over again in Mark 11, coming full circle to the mountain. Check this out. Mark eleven twenty two. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in what? Say that again. Have faith in what? God. God. Not faith in your strength to believe. Not faith in your ability to pray a little bit harder. Not faith in your ability to believe a little bit more, to do a little bit more. Not faith in the fact that you've been living a really good life and therefore that's enough to get something from God. Put your faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
the thing that has to shift is our perspective, our focus. He's saying, get your eyes off of the sight of the size of the mountain and get your eyes onto the God of that mountain. That's the whole point. Our faith gets beaten up and worn down when we look at the results that aren't coming. When we look at the situation that hasn't changed, when we look at the obstacle that seems too big and we just get beat up and we get worn down. And I find myself over and over again in the same place as this dad in this story. God, help my unbelief. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you can just muster the tiniest bit of faith to see me, if you can see me, if you can recognize me, you can do it. See, it's time for us to measure our faith differently. We need to stop measuring our faith by the size of the problem and start measuring our faith by the size of our God. Y'all hear that? By the size of our God. We are overwhelmed in this world with things that just look huge. Just look huge. I was listening to Pastor Jimmy's message from last Sunday at Grace Chapel in Franklin. And he used the example of like those distorted mirrors. Like you ever been to like a fun house where the mirrors are all warped and out of shape? That's the way this life is. We walk up to these things and the, the mirror has warped these small things to feel gigantic. And then the things that are actually really large, really strong, look tiny. And God wants to come and shatter those mirrors. He wants us to see him for who he really is. And the reality is, if God is big enough for the problem and he's good enough for the problem, I'm all right. See, if my God is just good, but he's not very big, well, at least he's a nice guy. But I don't know that I can really overcome this obstacle with a God that's weak. But if I have a big God who's not very good, I don't know that I could trust he's ever going to answer my prayer. And so the reason we combine God's word with whatever little bit of faith we can muster is it begins to shift my perspective. I go from seeing through this warped mirror to getting a more clear picture of who God actually is. Who does he say he is? He says he's a God that's a big God. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He also tells me that he's loving, that he's available, that he longs to answer our prayers. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. That's what my God does. That's what he's like. So let's bring the little bit of faith that we have but let's place it in him instead of trying to muster enough faith to overcome the huge mountain, the huge problem. Number two, praying with persistence. I want to share two quick stories with you. I'm mostly just going to talk about them and then we'll read a little bit. Um, But in these two stories, one is a parable that Jesus tells and another is an encounter that Jesus has. So in the first story, He's, Jesus is talking about prayer and he's talking about not losing heart when we pray, not being discouraged. Now, I'm sure nobody in here can relate to that, but I've struggled with that. I've struggled with getting discouraged and losing heart when I pray. And so Jesus addresses that issue. Now, I'd love to tell you that he tells this warm, fuzzy, encouraging story, but actually he says, here's what that kind of prayer is like. Imagine that you are going like this woman who's in need of help and she goes to this judge and this judge, he's mean. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't fear God. 
she goes to this judge who's called the unjust judge, and she begins to ask him for help in resolving her case. Will you judge rightly? And he just keeps putting her off and putting her off and ignoring her and telling her no, and she keeps at it. She wears him out. And the passage actually tells us that eventually he just says, she is troubling me so much, I'm weary, I'm gonna give her what she wants. This is the picture Jesus gives us. And then he says this in verse six. You might have to find it, Jacob. It's probably a a slide or two down. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? You ever been in one of those seasons? You're bearing something for a long time. Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? See, Jesus connects faith to being persistent, to keeping at it, to sticking with it. And he says, if that unjust judge would get worn down by that woman's pursuit of the the resolution she was looking for, how much more would a good and loving God respond when we hang in there with prayer? Well, then in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is actually traveling, and we're going to read this one, starting in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him. So this is not a Jewish woman. Jesus primarily, when he was on the earth, was was ministering to Jews. Occasionally, he had some interactions with maybe some Romans, some Samaritans, a few things, but primarily he came for the Jews. And so this Canaan woman came from that region. She's crying out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Now, right there, I can already relate to this lady. I'd, I'd love to think that the older I get and the longer I walk with the Lord, that I've moved past the place where sometimes it feels like I'm just talking to the wall. But it happens. There's times where it's like, God, are you, are you here? Do you hear this? And here's Jesus. He's right there in the flesh walking along. This woman's crying out for mercy. And he just doesn't say anything. He keeps going. Then it picks up again in verse 23. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. So God's people aren't saying, hey, we want to see this woman get some help. They're saying, hey, she's driving us crazy. She's annoying us. Can she get out of here? How many of you guys know sometimes church folks actually kind of get in our way? Instead of being the help towards the solution, they can be part of the obstacle. Is, this, is anybody, can y'all relate to this? Have you ever been there? Right? So it's like she's getting no encouragement from followers of Jesus. God himself seems silent She's pestering, she's pestering. And then he answered and he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him. She keeps after it. So he ignores her. His people try to run her off. Then finally gives her an answer and the answer is no. And what does she do? She worships him. And she said, Lord, help me. Okay, so finally, right? This is the turning point. She persisted. Lord, help me. She's worshiping. And look what he says. Then he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How many of you guys want to keep going to a pastor's church if he starts talking like that to you guys? 
By the way, I would recommend you just leave if I ever start talking to you. Like, right? Like, that just seems harsh. What is Jesus doing? Do you understand? He's, he's calling her a dog. Does this, does this bother anybody else? This bothers me. I don't understand this. Jesus, this woman is desperate. She's crying out for mercy. She's worshiping you even though you ignored her and you told her no and your people tried to run her off and now you're insulting her. What is going on? Does that stop this woman? No. Look what she does. She answered and said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Are you kidding me? Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus connects faith to persistence and answered prayer. He will even put up roadblocks and obstacles at times. See, here's the reality. Jesus tells us, you want to get something? Here's how you get it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Persistence doesn't stop, and it won't let up. In fact, persistence only grows in aggressiveness when it's thwarted. It doesn't diminish the reality in my life is all too often the opposite happens. This is where, like, I could really learn a lesson from my children. My children have this figured out, and I don't. Amen. My kids know how to persist till they get something. They keep at it. They keep at it. They keep at it. I mean, my daughter, Kate, will just wear you out. Like, I'm pretty sure she's already read all this stuff. And is like, oh, I get it. Dad, you're the unjust judge. I'm going to wear you out. I want, I want it all. I'm not going to settle for this. I want all of it. And she persists. But see, here's the deal. Like, she doesn't walk away when I say no and just go, well, I guess our relationship is just devastated. Dad's just ditched me. He's just, no. She's like, I, I'm going to keep after him. In fact, I kind of know my dad, so I know how to wear him down a little bit. I'm starting to figure him out. Like, I know where his weak spots are. Maybe I'll try buttering him up this time. Maybe I'll try just kind of wearing him down this time. Like, she can kind of cut through all of that because she wants something. And she's like, there's my dad. He's the path to get it. I'm just going to keep after it. And she does. I, the Bible tells us to come like faith as a child. We're, we're told to have childlike faith. And see, some of the things that we as adults look at and we go, that's annoying and it should stop there might actually be something there we could learn from our kids about how we pursue our father for things we truly long for. Persisting in faith. Now, I love this. Persisting in prayer is not just about pursuing something you want that you haven't been able to get. Sometimes persisting in prayer is not resting back on our laurels. There's times where we kind of feel pretty confident something's going to happen. If we just sit back and rest and wait and stop talking to the Lord about it, we're in trouble. There's this really cool story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, it hadn't rained for years because of a prophecy that God had given Elijah. 
and it's about to start raining again. And so Elijah approaches the evil king Ahab and they're having this conversation. He's letting Ahab know, okay, it's about to start raining. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, we pick up the story. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. Now, this was a bold move. It hadn't rained in three years, and there's not a cloud in the sky. And he says, hey, there's abundance of rain coming. So Ahab went up and, to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and then he bowed on the ground and put his face between his knees. He's heard from God that it's about to rain. He's told the king the rain is coming. He's even told the king, dude, you can relax. Go chill out. Have a drink. Have something to eat. It's all right. It's coming. But he doesn't stop. And he goes up on the top of Mount Carmel and puts his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. So he just keeps praying, keeps praying. Go check, go check, go check. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. Then he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. See, sometimes there's things we're assured of that we know are coming, but the Lord's still saying, will, will you lean in there with me? Will you hang in there with me? Will you talk to me about this? Will you pursue me? Will you pursue this thing that you're hoping for? And as we persist in prayer, we get to be a part of what God's doing. See, prayer, prayer is about appealing to him to do it, but prayer is an invitation into cooperative relationship with the Lord. We get to participate. And prayer not only changes things, it changes us. As we are engaging in this process with the Lord, He's shifting and changing who we are and how we're wired. James 5, 7 says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. The attitude of a farmer. You know, there's a, there's a lot of a farmer's life that's not doing anything. It's just kind of waiting for stuff to grow. But there's preparation before the seed goes in. There's caring for the ground. There's watering. And there's a lot of waiting. There's protecting. There's keeping the bugs and the birds away. Andrew Murray, great man of God, talked a lot about prayer, wrote a lot about prayer. He was reflecting on this passage in James 5, 7. He said this, Of course the husbandman, or the farmer, longs for his harvest. But he knows it must have its full term of sunshine and rain. So he had plenty of patience. A child so often wants to pick the half-ripe fruit while the farmer knows to wait until the proper time. In his spiritual nature, man too is under the law of gradual growth that reigns in all created life. Just as each of 10,000 seeds is part of the final harvest, frequently repeated, persevering prayer is necessary to acquire a desired blessing. Every single believing prayer has its influence. Every single one. God is up to something. There are times where we're going to pray and there's something immediately on God's heart and it happens. There's times where we're praying for long seasons. There are things that we're praying for that we're not going to see till heaven. But God is inviting us to have the attitude of a farmer. I'm, I'm in this together. I can't control the rain. I can't control the sun. I can't control the elements. Like, that's God's part. 
but I can faithfully do my part. I can tend to this thing. I can do my part, and I'm participating with him. And he's up to something in our lives. I remember as a kid, we had some neighbors that had this pear tree in their front yard. And whenever those pears started growing and getting a little bit bigger, I'm pretty sure it was pears. Do y'all remember that, the Benavitas at the end of the street? Yeah. And I can remember as a kid, like me and my buddies, um, their sons, we would start to get anxious. Like I've, I've lived this and we would do it. Like we just couldn't wait any longer. They looked really good. They looked really full and we'd go and pull them off and you bite. And I don't know if you guys know, like have any of you had a pear in a while? I don't feel like pears get as much play as like apples. Like apples is the thing, right? But if you ever have a good pear, one of the cool things about it is it's just so soft and juicy when it's right. I mean, you bite into it and you're wearing it. It's running down your face and neck and like just kind of, it's like a good cheeseburger that when the dripping's kind of coming down to your elbows, you know? I got to like do this number at five guys. Just got to make sure the elbows are clear. It's like that. Like you bite into it. Man, this pear was so rock hard, had no flavor. It was awful. And two things happened. Number one, I had the awful, nasty, hard pear, and I wasted a really good pear that was on its way because I didn't wait till it was ready. Sometimes we get so desperate for the thing that we're looking for that we are actually circumventing the really good fruit that's coming our way. Patience is producing something. It's producing something in us. It's preparing the ground, and the harvest is going to be incredible. I don't want to eat half-ripe fruit. I don't want to live my life off of half-ripened prayers. I want to know what God really has for me. And so I'm going to hang in there, and I'm going to persist, and I'm going to pursue. I'm going to bring the tiny little mustard seed of faith I've got and say, okay, God, creator of the world, maker of heaven and earth, who loves me and who is there for me, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm going to pray for this thing like it needs to happen right here, right now. And then tomorrow, when it hasn't happened yet, I'm going to pray for this thing like it needs to happen right here, right now. And God, I'm just going to hang in there with you. And when it's ripe and when it's in season and that fruit drops and I get to go pick it up, I can taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good and he's faithful. We're reminded in Galatians 6, 9, not to grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So to kind of wrap up point number two here, I want you to see this quote from E.M. Bounds, Franklin, Tennessee preacher, E.M. Bounds, Civil War era. Talking about persistent prayer, he said, here's the deal with persistent prayer. Restless desire, restful patience, and strength to hold on are all contained in it. That's what persistent prayer is. Restless desire. I'm not just going to sit back on my laurels. I'm not just going to throw my hands up in the air and give up. I'm going to have this restless stirring and desire. God, do this thing. But I also, because of God's goodness and his faithfulness, I can have a sense of rest and patience and knowing he's at work. And then ultimately, he gives me the strength to hold on even in those long, hard seasons. That's persistent prayer. So praying by faith with persistent prayer according to the will of God, number three. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is one of the most misused and misabused verses. Check this out. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the 
confidence. Can we do the cheesy preacher thing again? Can you all say confidence with me? This is the confidence. confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. This verse has been so robbed of the power that it was intended to give because we take this issue of his will and we let it cripple us. Because I have no idea what God's will is and I guess it's this puzzle piece I'm supposed to figure out. And so it turns into, I just hedge all my prayers. God, I want something, but I mean, you know, if you want it, if it's okay, by your will, if you would, maybe please, we hedge. This verse started with the word confidence. Confidence. God intended for us to walk in confidence that he cares, that he hears, that he loves us, that he longs to answer our prayer. He didn't do this to create a mystery that locks us up and keeps us frustrated and causes us to just hedge all our prayers with, well, if it's his will, and then I just walk away and I've robbed the prayer of all of its power. It is the opposite of what he intended. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Is there a secret will of God? Is there some, something that only he knows that we don't know? And there's tons of things like that. Absolutely, of course. Now, that counsel that's known to him, will it be revealed to us sometimes? Will it be revealed to us later sometimes? Will it maybe not be revealed to us at all? Yeah. Yeah. We waste so much time in our prayer and in our life with God trying to figure out what he's up to, trying to grab hold of puzzle pieces that we can't even see. They're not even on the board yet. And we get locked up waiting on that. Listen, can I just tell you something? If God wants you to know his will, he's going to reveal it to you. There are examples in scripture of people actively pursuing and longing for having direction from him. And sometimes they go a long time and don't hear anything. There's other examples of people running and hiding from him in caves or like whale's bellies or big fish, right? And what happens? God finds them with his will. If he wants you to know it, he'll tell you. Now, if you figure out the code and how to crack this and figure out his will in every situation, let the rest of us know as soon as you've got that. Amen. That'd be great. I would love that. But the truth is, so often, I just don't know when that's going to show up. But let's not then adopt the posture of hedging all our prayers and just, well, que sera, sera. I guess whatever will be, will be. This is the God who tells us to pray with faith and to persist and to ask. And he tells us there, there is an opportunity to understand and know his will. We can grow in that. So here's what I want to talk to you about. There are some ways that we can pray with confidence and we can begin to sense that we have a better understanding of who God is and what he's, what he's looking for. And so I want to give you these two things and we're going to wrap up, all right? This should be a, two, a two-fold arsenal in your prayer life. It's like if there's two different tools in your belt, it should be these things. Number one, praying by the Spirit. Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27 Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Anybody ever feel like that? I feel like that, like weekly. Not really sure how I'm supposed to pray in this situation, God. Well, the Holy Spirit helps us when we're weak. 
The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God's Spirit that comes and lives inside of us, he knows how we ought to pray. And if we are praying according to God's Spirit, in other words, God, I'm actually cooperating with you in prayer. God, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? What's stirring inside of me? God, if, if you give me an insight, a thought, an idea, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. I'm going to pray that thing. I'm going to verbalize it. God, sometimes there's things I'm not even sure what's going on. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do them and make them known if you will make them known? And by wrestling with the Spirit of God, we get invited into this process of prayer that makes it come alive. Secondly, we pray by the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's not dead and it's not weak. It's alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And look at this. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When we go from just reading God's word to starting to pray with it, to using it in our prayers, it begins to highlight what's really going on in my own heart. Like the thing I'm upset about might not be the other person's issue. It might actually be something in me that needs to change. And by letting God's word come alive in my life, it can highlight that issue. And I can go from, God, that person needs to repent to, oh God, I repent. Will you forgive me? It changes things. God's word comes alive. Now, this is an important note. These are not two separate things. They work together. If we decide I'm going to pray according to the Spirit and listen to God's Spirit talking to me and working in my life and I leave God's Word out of it, you know what I get? I get an emotion-filled, powerful prayer that can get really weird and get me off track because there's no rails keeping me in, in the truth, anchored to the truth of who God says He is. But the flip side is if I'm just praying God's Word like it's just some list of things. I say these things and they happen and I leave the spirit of God out of it. It becomes lifeless and dead and empty. It's the word of God mixed with the Holy Spirit that makes this come alive. And these prayers come alive and my relationship with the Lord comes alive because I'm praying the truth and I'm talking to a real God who's alive who will talk to me about what's going on in my life. You can hear God's voice. This is not the mystery for just the preacher man or the really spiritual Every single one of us were designed to hear God's voice. We've just forgotten that language. But he gives us his word and his Holy Spirit so we can hear his voice, so we can know him personally. And so those two things work together. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're given all this, all this armor, all this ammo, and I want you to see this thing, and then we're going to wrap up. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice the Spirit and the Word of God working together. It's a sword. Verse 18, praying when? Always. Always. With what kind of prayers? All. all prayers and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for everybody, all the saints. Check this out. Two things I want you to see. Number one, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and prayer are working together in unison. The second thing I want you to see, every single element of armor up to this point in the passage is all defensive. I'm protecting my head. I'm protecting my chest. I'm wearing the belt. I'm it's all defensive. 
the minute that we pick up the sword of the spirit, we're on the offensive. We're now taking it to the enemy. We're taking territory. It is the the word of God mixed with the Holy Spirit and prayer that causes us to begin to take new territory and be offensive. This is something the Lord is inviting us into. See, I think the reality of, of knowing the will of God, it's not about solving a mystery. God's actually doing something with us. Now, I don't know if we have any dads in the room, but any dads in the room or or any sons that had a dad that ever experienced wrestling with your dad? Anybody ever experienced that? Just like getting on the floor wrestling with your dad? You know, one of the things I've learned as a dad, I'm like undefeated right now. It's pretty awesome. I win every time. I get so excited to wrestle with Micah because I just know I'm going to get a huge boost in my pride because I'm going to pin him and he's going to know his place and I'm going to feel huge. Is that why I wrestle with my son? Of course not. Of course not. We're doing it to have fun. I'm letting him test his boundaries. I'm helping him learn to grow. I withhold large elements of my strength so that it actually is fun. He can push back a little bit. Sometimes maybe I don't. (laughs) Yeah, we've had some funny conversations. All right. But in theory, I'm holding back my strength to not hurt my kids, right? I'm engaging with him. What am I doing? I'm, I'm letting my son test himself and get stronger and see where he can grow. I'm not trying to crush him or beat him up. Listen, I don't wrestle a newborn. I hold a newborn. I protect it. I take care of it. I feed it. But as that child grows, we begin to wrestle. We begin to test. Here's the deal. No eight-year-old boy wishes he could go back to being a baby and being held, maybe on occasion when he gets hurt. But like, no, man, I want to grow into a man. But that's what we do in our prayers. See, for many of us, when we started our relationship with the Lord, some things kind of came easy. I'm in love with Jesus. He's amazing. Like, he forgave me. He's alive. I feel incredible. Life's amazing. I just want to skip through the streets. Isn't he awesome? And then somewhere along the way, it gets difficult and I think, where did God go? And he's going, hey, dude, I'm right here, man. Let's get back on the mat. I'm wrestling with you. See, all too often, we look back longingly and we end up giving up instead of looking ahead joyfully and growing up. He, through prayer and through wrestling with God and through trying to figure out what he's up to and what he's doing, He's coming down and engaging us on our level and he is working our muscles out and helping us grow. He's turning us into the men and women he designed us to be. Guys, our community needs followers of Jesus who are growing into maturity. This world is desperate for it. People who have wrestled with God, who faced hard things and had some losses along the way, but some folks who have learned to stick with a good God who loves us, to bring the little bit of faith we can muster and watch what he'll do with it, to learn to hang in there and persevere through thick and thin and the ups and downs of this life with him, and to recognize that while it doesn't always come easy, God is up to something. He's up to our good, and he is helping us learn to grow and get stronger and mature in who he's created us to be, unique individuals men and women of God. Your family needs that. Your community needs that. Guess what? You need that. 
I don't want to settle for arrested development. I want to grow into the person God's called me to be. And prayer is one of the key ways that we do that. Prayer is an invitation to know God and to continue to grow into the person he's calling me to be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your incredible love for us. God, I thank you that you want to know us. You want to talk to us. You want us to wrestle with you and to know you, to see, to see your goodness. And God, even to learn that life is hard, it's difficult, but you win. And Jesus, because you win, we win too. God, we need you and we love you. Lord, would you help us wherever we find ourselves this morning? God, if we're in the place of like, I'm just trying to muster that tiny little seed. God, if we walk out of here with nothing else than being able to pray, Lord, help my unbelief. God, I pray that we would start there. Lord, that we would take that little bit of faith that we have and as we invested in prayer and growing in our relationship with you, God, that we would learn to be tenacious. God, that we would have an attitude of persistence and perseverance. And then on the other side of that, just like a farmer who hangs in there with his crops, God, we could taste and see the really good stuff you're up to, even in the hardest seasons. And God, finally, I pray that we could could not be crippled in our prayers by trying to solve some mystery, but instead we'd step into a relationship with a God who longs to wrestle with us and to help us grow. God, we love you. We trust you. Thank you that we can talk to you and you hear us. God, thank you that you talk to us and we can learn to hear you. Help us practice that this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.